I know it's intriguing, isn't it? I hope some of you just showed up because you read the, saw the billboard or you're like, wait a minute. I don't know. Uh, I got to say, um, on one level, this sermon series is going to come. Yeah, scoot in if you would. Um, I'd appreciate that. I would tell you to go to a different service and avoid the 11, but they're pretty much all like this. So I don't know, just whatever, figure it out, find a seat. I'm not kidding. We had 1,440 people in here last night. It was crazy. I mean, uh, I'm supposed to say go to Saturday night, but you can't go to Saturday. Night. I don't know where you can go. Just, um, just find a place. Um, one, on one level, this sermon series is going to come from a deeper place of conviction probably than any sermon series that I've done in a really, really long time. On the other hand, I realize there's a great risk of me... Um, missing the connection with you. You know, I, I, what would Jesus hate? It's kind of feeling like, ah, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that. And, and I don't want it to be awkward. I do not want to be like Ryan Seacrest trying to high five the blind guy on Tuesday night. <laughs> Did you see that? I was like, ah! oh yeah, you can't see. Oh, that was great. That was a Ryan Seacrest moment. Okay, I don't want it to be like, you know, here's my sermon. No. Oh, you don't get it. So uh, please understand when I bring up this title, I'm not a negative person. I think that negative Christians are an oxymoron, an emphasis on the moron. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that's not the way it is. The gospel is good news. That's the definition. The angel said, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. Jesus is here. Okay, please understand all that. Don't let the sermon title throw you. But I've been doing ministry for full time for 25 years now. And I've been doing a lot of preaching, a lot of reading, a lot of blogging, a lot of memorizing. I've been thinking this thing through for a really, really long time. And here's what I know. The red letters in your Bible are the most important words said by the most important person in the most important book ever. So if we're going to, if we're going to think about how we ought to live life, I think it's important that we take the time to look at the red letters. And what I've noticed as I've been looking back over them again is that a lot of the things that Jesus says, a lot of the red letters in your Bible are sharp, biting words. A lot of what Jesus says is either an indictment against someone or it's a story told to be an indictment against someone. I think a lot of times we, you know, we think of Jesus just being the, you know, turn the other cheek and love your neighbors yourself and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that Jesus said that was pretty hard. I wonder what it would be like if Jesus came to the 21st century. What would it be like if Jesus came to Parkview? This is my big question. How would Jesus think we were doing now? according to what we know that he said 2,000 years ago, okay? There's some stuff that I think if Jesus came today, and you just put that in your mind for a minute, what would Jesus think if he showed up? Now, there's some stuff I think he'd be really embarrassed about, first of all, okay? Jesus would be embarrassed by some stuff that I've done along the way, too. Jesus would have been embarrassed by my sweater I wore last weekend. I know that, okay? Come on. So it's okay. We can laugh at ourselves. I also think that there are things that Jesus would find in the 21st century that he would absolutely love. One-third of the world's population claims some kind of allegiance to him after only 2,000 years. I think he would be pretty excited about that. I think he would be excited about a lot of the things that are going on in his name. However, we can always do better, okay? There are, in the red letters of the Bible, a lot of times when Jesus gets angry. Please don't pass over this. He did hate some things. I know we like to pass quickly over it, but Jesus went into the temple and started throwing stuff. Okay, how do you think the news media would deal with that today if that would have happened today? Religious leader opens up a can and the temple Pharisees news at 11, right? 
I mean, it, it was a pretty big deal. You've got to think about it. Listen to some of the things he says if you're not sure about it. Listen to this. Matthew 23, 33. This is Jesus, the loving Son of God. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Well, Jesus, that's not nice. Listen, righteous anger is something that we're familiar with in the Bible. We're familiar with it in the Old Testament. The wrath of God was never something you wanted to flirt with, okay? Please understand that. Here's the prophet Amos. God says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I can't stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Why? Because I hate them. Why? Because they were being hypocrites. So if God hates some things so much that he gets angry and Jesus is God's son, then the issue is legitimate. Don't get hung up on the wording, okay? Dictionary definition of hate is to dislike something intensely, all right? Dislike something intensely. Now, please pay attention to something here, all right? It is not who. It is not who would Jesus hate because that's impossible. Okay? Jesus can't hate anyone. Okay? It's not who. It, it, it's not the tax collectors and the prostitutes because those were the people that he used to hang around with. Right? What? It's what attitudes, what behaviors upset the Son of God. Now, here, I'll, I'll put you at ease. Okay? If you walked in here, if you saw the billboard or you, you got, got wind and somebody invited you in and you're not a believer, rest assured. Relax. This isn't for you. Uh, Jesus doesn't hate anything about anything that's going on for you. This is for us. I'm going to hammer on myself. I'm going to hammer on the church. I'm going to hammer on us, Christians, for the next few weeks as we try to figure out what it is that God doesn't like, that Jesus doesn't like. For me, I don't know about you, I always pay more attention to the things that somebody doesn't like than the things that they do. Don't you? It's human nature. You might not realize it, but you do. Kids, have you ever done anything and your parents got really mad? And then the next time you went to do it, you were like, oh, wait a minute. You did it anyway, but you said, oh, wait a minute, right? What was that hesitation for? I remember calling my dad a name one time, and then I never did it again. (laughs) To this day, I don't know what his favorite breakfast cereal was. I don't know what TV shows he liked. I don't know what names he liked to be called, but I distinctly remember one he did not. You got me? So here are our five issues for this series, okay? And then we got Jesus Jim coming, and wow, we're going to add a service for that uh, on Saturday night. I don't know how we're going to get everybody in for Jim Cavizio. But anyway, this is our series. Children blocking, disciple dividing, sinner judging, injustice tolerating, and joy killing. At each one of these, each one of these weeks, we're going to give you the opportunity. We're not just going to talk about it and say, you know what? This is what Jesus would hate if he was here. We are going to figure out a way that we as a church can do something about it. Okay? These are the things that made him angry. Okay? Again, it wasn't drunkenness or lying or adultery or those sinful things that made him angry. They made him sad. They mess up your life. He had to die on the cross to save you from them. But the bottom line is this, and here we go. What would Jesus hate? Anything that gets in the way of his love. Jesus would hate anything that gets in the way of his love. This is what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. If you're coming in here from the outside again, I hope that you understand that this church is a church that tries desperately to do WWJD and tries to avoid WWJH. And so here we go. Week one, children blocking. 
This is a picture of stained glass that we're going to put in our new chapel somewhere along the way. I found this in Kansas City when I was there one time. came out of an old church. We've already bought it. It's been storage. And we tried to pull it out. and bring, It's really, really old. So we didn't want to bring it out and put it up on stage. We were afraid we were going to break it. But someday we're going to put this in because this is a high value for us at Parkview Christian Church. Jesus loves the children. Here's the scripture. He took a little child and he had them stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus loves the children. Now you you think about it to yourself. Jesus brought a child in and and blessed them. Jesus brought a child in and said, Bring the children to me. You always picture in your mind what, what he did, right? I think this is what the picture looked like. Okay, this is an artist named Jean Keaton who allowed me the opportunity to show her artwork to you this weekend. Uh, that's what I think it was. Okay, we think of Jesus blessing the children, you know, doing a little sign of the cross and saying, you know, bless you, child. Well, first of all, there was no sign of the cross yet, and he didn't just do that. I think he tickled them. I think he played with them. I think he had a great, great time with the children. He loved children. And then in the middle of this, in the middle of this scene where he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children welcomes me. He's kind of, I think he stops, he pauses, and he looks up from playing with the kids. He's got one under his arm, and he's, you know, rubbing his scalp. And he, he stops, and he, and, he, and he looks up, and he says, By the way, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to be thrown in the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. Does that sound like your Bible? in there mark 9 42 sounds more like an episode of the sopranos doesn't it make you an offer you can't refuse take care of my children or else the millstone is a direct quote in mark and in matthew it made a real impression on them that jesus would say hey these kids i love them a lot if you mess with them you'd be better off with concrete shoes that's pretty serious I think that qualifies for WWJH, don't you? You see where I'm coming from this? But wait, it gets better. A few days later, the disciples, gotta love the disciples. I mean, it's like literally one or two days later, and the children are coming to Jesus. Watch what happens. You have to kind of laugh at them. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was, say that word with me, he was indignant. Okay, I want you to get a hold of this. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was hacked. Jesus was mad. You figure out whatever word you want to, Jesus was mad. Do you guys not remember the discussion that we just had about the millstone a couple of days ago? Don't make me go get my millstone. Do you understand what's going on here? Now, put that in your mind. Remember that those words are going on. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now listen to this next phrase, because probably a lot of you have heard this before in a very different context, because this is the way he said this. Listen, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. A little different than you'd ever heard it before, isn't it? But if you go back and you'll put the scripture together, I'm pretty sure that's exactly the way it came out. 
When Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I don't know why the disciples tried to block the children. I'm sure it was within good intention. You know how much Jesus loved kids and how distracted he could be by them. I have my suspicions that Jesus may have suffered from ADD. (laughs) Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? It's like, uh, okay, this is how you should pray, and this is how you should give. And don't worry. And did someone mention divorce? And narrow is the gate that goes in the camp. I mean, there's, there's no three points in a, in a poem in there, is there? He does, well, what's up with the sermon? You know what? It may be, this may be proof that ADD is not really a disorder. If Jesus had it, it's a spiritual gift. Huh? <laughs> I have ADB, attention deficit blessing. Okay? Now, where were we? Oh, oh yeah. Distractions. Jesus was distracted by the children and he was having this really, really important discussion with the grown-ups, right? And, and the grown-ups were having this discussion. It was even about divorce. It was about a real tricky subject. And they're having this discussion and the kids come and the disciples go, no, 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 no. Not now, children. And Jesus got mad. And to make his point as strongly as possible, he goes even further and calls in reinforcements. I mean, it just gets more. Matthew 18, he says, see to, in Matthew's version of it, he says, see to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. I don't know the whole theology of guardian angels or how that works or doesn't work or whatever, but what Jesus says is, they, the angels that protect my children, when they look into their faces, they don't even see these kids. They see the face of God. Something special about children. You get this? Do you see where I'm coming from? Neglecting children made Jesus angry. There's no way theologically anyone could argue with me on this. This is the truth. And then he says in Matthew 18, 14, in the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, if you put all that together, I think that's some of the most powerful, hard hitting teaching that Jesus ever does about the children of the world. I think it's because that's who he was. I think it's because that's who Jesus is. Aren't those pictures awesome? So, if Jesus came to 2009, what would he think of the 100 million children around the world that live on the streets? They don't go home to a a trailer or a a cardboard shack. They live on the streets, 100 million. If I were to mention each one of them by name in two seconds apiece, it would take me six years to read off all of the children of the world that live on the streets. Worldwide, one out of two children live in poverty. Do you understand that? In Haiti, the odds of a child living until their fifth birthday are so small that many Haitian parents today don't even name their babies. They don't even name them until they get to be five because the likelihood is they're going to die. According to UNICEF, 33,000 children under the age of five die. Every day in the world. 
not from horrible diseases or accidents. They die from easily preventable diseases like malaria, from malnutrition. They die because they're poor. 33,000 a day. The entire metro area of Chicago wiped out every year. Let me bring that closer to home. That's 25 kids a second. 25, 50, 75, 100, 125, 150, 175, 200. In less than 20 seconds, every child who's attending our service right now, gone. In less than a minute, every child who's attended our services all weekend, gone. And you know what? Just because I stopped counting, they didn't stop dying. So what would Jesus think of 2009? Whose responsibility are these children? Definitely they are the parents. If they have parents, the parents ought to be taking care of them. But it's so easy and so callous for us to look back on the outside from the United States of America and say, oh, well, they ought to be taking care of them. I've gotten to know Dr. Wes Stafford, the president of Compassion International, who's one of the godliest men I've ever met in my life. Compassion takes care of a million kids worldwide with sponsorships. Many of you have children sponsored with them. I went to Ecuador with him. One of the stories that he told us that really stayed with me more than any of the others was when he was in Haiti. If you don't know anything about Haiti, it is, it is one of the poorest countries in the world. It's, it's, it's on an island, and it's just completely wiped off from all the hurricanes and from all the people who have cut down all the trees to try to survive. And it's just desolate. And he said he, he was driving along the road one day and, and he went in. He saw this man who was cutting down a mango tree. And he was trying to figure out why this guy was cutting down the mango tree because the mango tree looked like it was alive, looked like it was growing. And he said, I went, I went over to the guy and I was like, hey, wait, wait, wait. Why are you cutting down the mango tree? I mean, with the machete, you know, just cutting it down. And the man said, I need this for food money for my family. And Wes said, I went to the man. I said, how much money do you get from the mangoes from this tree every year? And the man said, $75. I said, how much money are you going to get if you cut down the tree and sell the wood? The man said, $75. Well, I said, don't you understand? Once you cut it down, you won't have it anymore. And the man said, of course I understand that. But my family is hungry now. And it's pretty callous of us to sit, sit back and say, well, those parents ought to be doing more. If there's nothing their kid can do, there's nothing they can do. And the governments, you know, the governments are corrupt and they're ridiculous and God is going to hold them accountable for the things that they're doing to their people. But that doesn't take away from our responsibility. If Jesus loved the children and he asked us to love as he loved, here's what 2 Corinthians 9 says, godly people give generously to the poor. Psalms 82 says, give fair judgment to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Can't be any clearer than that. Now, one of the great stories that came from this amazing thing that happened this week in the news, this plane landing in the Hudson River, just just incredible story. One of those feel-good things you got to love. One of the incredible things about it is that as they after they landed the plane and everybody realized they were okay, but they were starting to go down, the cry came out from every man aboard that I can understand: women and children first, and that's how they evacuated. Now, that's the way it's always supposed to be. That's the way I was always taught. That's the way you were always taught. But that's not always the way it is in our world. I was really thankful to hear that. Women and children first. And thankfully, they got everybody off of that plane. And that guy was a hero. But women and children first is the way we're supposed to be doing things. We all know that. Besides that, there are more red letters in my Bible that that bother me, maybe even more than the millstone. And it's when Matthew 25, when Jesus is telling the story about the judgment at the end. 
You may have heard this one before. And Jesus said, the judge will say to those on his... We like the right part because it's the good people. I'm going to read you the left part. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick. I was in prison. You did not look after me. And they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. What would Jesus hate? Anything that gets in the way of his love. And in this case, he wants to love his children. And he's not here in person, so he left us to do it. I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. One more picture from Gene. If that's who Jesus is... And he left us to be his people. And Jesus would hate it when we don't take care of his children. We have um, my favorite place in the building. If you've never been down this hallway is this hallway. Whenever people come to visit and they want to look at our building or whatever, and I'm taking them on a tour, they always love this auditorium, you know, because it's big and there's lots of tech. And, you know, they, they love to look around at all the things that God is doing here. I always take them to that wall. That's the best wall in the building. If you haven't been down that wall, that's the wall of fame. That's the wall of all the kids that we support around the globe. Several years ago, we adopted 600 kids in the slums of Africa. Some of us are going back in March to be able to see them again and check back in on them again. I'm very, very excited to get to go back there. We also have kids, local kids from Harvey. I want to encourage you, if you have a compassion kid or a world vision kid or somebody that you sponsor in another part of the globe, please make a copy of the picture and bring it and post it out there with us because we want to, we want to show the world that we take Jesus seriously. If you don't, Here's a picture of a little girl I took when I was in Africa last time, just to kind of show you that look, just to show you what's going on, just to show you how they need you. The slums of Mathari in Nairobi, there's a million people living in one square mile. 40% of them have AIDS. They're all in lean-to shacks made out of sheet metal and cardboard. And you could adopt one of them today. We got a booth out there. We have 150 kids this weekend from Africa on top of the 600 we already have. Maybe you should adopt it. 30 bucks a month. Whatever you did to the least of these, you could do it for me. You know, the problem for me was always, it was always over there. Until I got to actually get out into the world and see the poverty right up close and see in Cuba and Costa Rica and Ecuador and some of these places what's really going on. It was always kind of like over there because I'm not a callous guy. I mean, if a kid falls and hurts himself in my neighborhood, I'm not going to be like, well, dude, you shouldn't have been trying to jump the SUV in your rollerblades, man. I'm going to go over and I'm going to help him. Because that would have been me a few years ago and I would have wanted somebody to help me. So I'm going to go over and I'm going to help them because I see them there. The problem is out of sight, out of mind. So when I hear 6,000 babies become orphans every day because of AIDS, that doesn't really register much for me because I don't know them. So I'll let you see them. I got just a little minute's worth of video here. Um, Just going through the slums. Notice at the end, the raw sewage that's going down in the river in between. There's no bathrooms. There's there's, there's unbelievable conditions. Notice what the kids are playing in. The beginning of the video, remember that the only thing, the only English that these kids know, for whatever reason, is how are you? So 
That's all they can say. And, and look at how beautiful they are. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. Thank you. And this is where they're playing. That's a, about a 12-year-old boy, and that's his toy. It's a string attached to a milk carton with four wheels pushed into it. That's his truck. Probably a little different than our kids had at Christmas time. Today, you have the opportunity to sponsor a child. You were going to have the opportunity to help us with My Joyful Heart, which is a ministry um, part, part of our church here. Uh, they need a new warehouse space, but you have to come earlier. Somebody already already took care of that. And I get them completely moved the whole location to a new spot. And uh, I just want to give God the glory for that. It's awesome. 3,600 square feet. <clears throat> it's amazing. Carl Sandberg said, there's only one child and the child's name is all children. There's only one maker in the world and all his children cover the earth and they are named all God's children. We talk about the unborn for a moment. We say right up front, I know a lot of people in this room have had abortions or urged them or encouraged them. I know that 22% of all pregnancies end in abortion. We know, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you and we love you and the rest of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and no one stands in judgment here. That would be exactly the opposite of what I'm trying to do here. Jesus would hate it if I got up here and I got in the way of his love for you, okay? But Jesus also would not like it if I did not say something in defense of the 50 billion children that were killed in the U.S. in the last 36 years because of legalized abortion. One every 20 seconds. Worldwide, one billion dead in the last two decades. Billion children that never got to see the light of day because we don't understand how much Jesus loves children. Or that we don't understand that they are children even before they're born. Okay? The whole issue of abortion is not uh, about whether the baby outside the womb it has rights or is loved by Jesus. We understand that. The whole issue is at what point do they become a human, right? That's really what it is, okay? Please remember that when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Jesus was in the womb and John the Baptist was in the womb and John the Baptist leaped. There was some kind of recognition that went on there. So I think if we were going to go back to Jesus and we were going to say, hey, what do you think about this? Jesus would say, well, wait a minute. John the Baptist and I knew each other in the womb. And if that's not good enough for you, here's Psalms 22. Yet you, God, brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breath. breast. From birth I was cast upon you. My mother's womb, since my mother's womb, you have been my God. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. 
Psalms 139 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. All your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see that really interesting case in Great Britain this week? The woman who died from a a brain hemorrhage and they kept her heart beating for two more days because she was pregnant and they wanted to get steroids into the baby so that the baby could be saved and the baby could be born. And it happened. And the baby was born two pounds after 48 hours of keeping the woman's heart beating after she was dead. The baby was born and the baby is healthy. It's confusing, isn't it? Who gets to decide which babies are wanted or not? If Jesus came to the 21st century, would he hate people who had abortions? No. He would be hanging out with them. Would he hate the abortion doctors? No. He would be hanging out with them. Would he hate the idiots who go out in his name and hurt people and blow things up because they don't like abortions? No, he wouldn't even hate them. I think he'd open up a can of temple cleansing on them personally. But somehow he would find a way to love them because Jesus loves everybody. But he would hate the fact that there is so much that could be done that we're not doing to let the children come to him. This is why the second opportunity you have out there to do something is to get involved in PASS, Pregnancy Aid South Suburbs. It's a local organization. Many churches sponsor. Parkview is a part of it. The idea is to help people who are having these issues so that they can make choices that are different and that honor God. Pregnancy Aid South Suburbs. See, it's one thing to say, you know what, I don't believe in abortion, but I'm going to, and my next question out of my mouth is going to be, okay, well, what are you doing to help? They have impact prevention training so that they can go into high schools and teach young people the things that they ought to know so that they don't end up in unwanted pregnancy. They have pregnancy care centers, crisis pregnancy centers, so that women have a place to go when they are in a crisis pregnancy and they have somebody to help them. They have abundant life teaching life skills to be able to help them. Shepherd's House, something many of you know about. Parkview is a sponsor and a part of Shepherd's House, which is a place where mothers can go if they don't have any place else to go and be taken care of so that they can have the baby. And Most importantly, if you have gone through an abortion, they have a great hope and healing program. They have a fantastic post-abortion counseling program to help you as you're dealing with it. And that's why we're involved with them. If you'd like to help them, there's a table in the foyer out there. What are we doing or not doing that is blocking children from the kingdom? Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. One more idea for you, and that's adoption. Many of you were here for Christmas Eve. You heard my adoption story. We actually just dedicated Grayson at the last service, a little girl from China that was adopted. You're going to see a whole bunch of children up here at the end of this uh, message who were adopted and um, plenty more on their way. We're excited about that. Here's the very simple statistic about adoption. Maybe you, may, maybe you have thought about this at one time or another. Maybe some of you should be thinking about adopting a child. There are 143 million orphans in the world. There are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. If we do math, 
we can find that if only 7 or 8% of all the Christians of the world would adopt, there would be no orphans left on the planet. What would Jesus do? I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. There's a table out there with some people that would love to talk to you about adoption. I'd love to talk to you about how you could get involved. Don't let money get in your way. Don't let all those other things get in your way. Think about it because some of you have been called. We have a a table out there to help you sponsor a child in Africa. We'll have a table for pass. Not everyone can do any of these things. Not everyone can do all of these things. But Jesus said, see to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. In the same way, your father in heaven is not willing that any one of these little ones should be lost. Brad Beck wrote about his daughter, Maddie. Maddie had special needs. My life, my wife, Lisa, called them constant needs. Maddie had a chromosome deficiency that Houston Clinic said would never be named or categorized. It was so rare. Maddie was unique. We tube-fed Maddie for nearly a year following her birth. She learned to walk when she was three and could say hi, sort of, waving her hand and saying hi. We lived in Texas, so that kind of worked. At age eight, she weighed 27 pounds and had a mental age of about 18 months, understanding some words but not many. Maddie filled our life often with macaroni and cheese, diapers, and Barney. Lisa and I barely survived at times. All things considered, Maddie was fairly healthy, especially after we moved to Colorado Springs. In the fall of 1999, we found out that she had primary pulmonary hypertension. After testing, the diagnosis was confirmed. She probably had less than six months to live. When we went out from the doctor's office, we sat in our van and just cried while Maddie ate macaroni and cheese. And then she began to laugh at us as we cried. For some reason, she always thought crying was really funny. She laughed so hard that we began to laugh with her. In the following days, we developed symptoms of low, she developed symptoms of low cardiac input. Her color wasn't great. She slept longer. She tired easily. We made plans to celebrate Christmas and celebrate her ninth birthday. December 11th was a great day for Maddie. The entire family went Christmas shopping. Later that night, she played in the empty bathtub with golf balls, a favorite activity of hers. And while going to sleep that night, she got sick. Her heart slowed and she died without a matter of hours. Lisa said later it was her day. Now, Maddie, with all of her deficiencies, was unmistakably human. She certainly had value in our eyes, but even more so in the eyes of an everlasting and powerful God. Genesis one twenty six, he writes, states that she was made in the image of God. And he gave her value long before we did. Maddie was not a perfect child, but neither are any of us. Lisa and I miss Maddie. As do Chris and Brianne, her brother and sister. We know she's in a better place, but we still hurt. She was a part of us, part of our family. How can you miss someone with whom you never had a deep conversation? And we discovered words aren't always necessary. Maddie communicated very simply, taking you by the hand to the refrigerator when she was hungry, climbing into your lap when she was scared or tired. Sometimes I would notice Maddie waving and looking intently at something in the corner of the room or up the stairs. I wondered if she saw things that we couldn't. Were angels in the room? I'll, I'll ask her that in heaven. 
A month or two before Maddie died, Chris asked Lisa if Maddie would be able to talk in heaven. Lisa said, yeah, she probably will and she won't need diapers. And Chris got teary-eyed and said, but I like her the way she is. And he writes, so did Jesus, Chris. So did Jesus. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Come and see me. Hi, hi buddy. Can say hi to everybody? Hi. Hi. Say it in my microphone. Hi. <laughs> this is Stevie. Yes, it is. Last night we, um, we did this song and Stevie just kind of impromptu came out and decided he'd hang out with me. So we decided we liked that, didn't we, Stevie? Yeah. Because Stevie's really a perfect example of what Jesus says in that scripture. 
The, the, the one thing that I didn't tell you in that scripture is Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says, unless you become like one of these children, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. What did he mean by that? That's what he meant by that. That's all it is, is you and I coming to him and saying, hey, I need you. It's dependence. That's what it is. It's just, I need you, Jesus, to come into my life, right? You love Jesus, don't you, Stevie? Yeah. Yeah, and Jesus loves you, doesn't he? Yes. Yes, he does. And that's all that really matters. So we're going to take communion right now. Stevie and I want to invite you, no matter whether you've been a follower of his for a long time, no matter what bad things you may have done in your life, Jesus does not hate you. Jesus loves you. Just like Jesus loves me and has forgiven me for all the sins that I've done. And just like Jesus loves Stevie. And if he ever committed any sins, forgave him. But I doubt it. They love you, buddy. I love you. We're going to pray. Maybe this would be a good day for you to figure out what Jesus is calling you to do. Maybe it's... uh, Get involved in children's ministry and understand how much we need to take care of our kids. Maybe it's a, a sponsor a child in Africa. Maybe it's adoption. Talk to somebody. Get involved in pass. Remember that Jesus loves the little children of the world. And remember that we need to come right now before him at communion time and get rid of everything else. And just come to him with our arms up and say, pick me up. Hold me. I am like a child. I'm totally dependent on you. Jesus, we come right now and we ask that you would be with us as we, as we worship you. I thank you for these kids that were up here. Thank you for my buddy Stevie. What a, what a joy. What an easy way for me to understand how much you love us. Just because I, I, you can't help but look at Stevie and love him. And somehow you have that same love for me. I'm not cute. I don't have any reason for you to love me. But you look at me the same way. And you can look down on me and you can look past all of my sins and all of my faults. And you can see into my heart and you can know right now that I just have my hands up in the air. And I'm saying, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for taking care of me. I'm dependent on you. Lord, we're going to take communion right now. We know that you loved us so much that you died on the cross for us. So we don't want to minimize those sins, those things that we've done wrong. We know they put you on the cross, but you didn't hate that. You love us so much that you gave this gift of your body and your blood. And so we're going to worship you right now in Jesus' name.